The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world pimping all over the World Series. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman, and this matchup is ludicrous. From Arlington to Phoenix, Jake will be uh, walking, I believe, back and forth between the two World Series cities, and we're going to preview this World Series, this World Series that nobody cares about. You know, I woke up today and I said, uh, should I even bother? Is anybody going to listen to this if nobody cares about the Diamondbacks and the Rangers playing in the World Series? But I persevered. I put some pants on and I sat at my desk and I said, fine, I'll podcast about this pointless exercise that is the 2023 World Series. If the World Series isn't Red Sox-Yankees, does anybody care? You know what I mean? Uh, quite the contrary, Jake. I am very excited about this World Series matchup, and we are going to preview it on this Thursday edition of Baseball Barbecast. Uh, later today, you will attend the World Series Media Day workout day, uh, and we will see what intel you gather there. But until then, we are going to talk about this World Series before these teams. You know, you, you haven't. I, I guess you've been around the Diamondbacks. You know, this this past series, but obviously understandably, you had a little bit more of a Philly tilt, certainly for the first half of the series, before you realized, holy shit, the Snakes are going to do this. The yeah. Rangers, I don't think you've seen... Have you seen the Rangers this year at all? I've seen the Rangers a couple... Uh, once this year, when I okay. wrote my Corey Seager is the most oh, boring yes. man in the world mm-hmm. feature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and I right, I guess I, I saw the Rangers earlier this season with Cincinnati. But either way, the point is, is when you're, you're going to be around these teams... When you see them both on the same field, both the same workout, you're going to start to get a feeling about them. But let's not have you be biased yet. Uh, let's 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 look at this objectively, Jake. Let's look at these teams and compare them and say this team's going to win, this team's going to lose. Because if they, we've learned anything in this postseason, it's that you can definitely predict what's going to happen. That's for sure. Remember, you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com, B-A-R-B-Cast. We will not get to your emails until the confetti falls at the end of this world series but as soon as it becomes mid-november and there's nothing to talk about <laughs> oh we will we will be oh, using get, your get emails ready. we open up that mailbag but yes you you can't Even expect if, to hear from us still after every yes. game of the world series every game of the world series but before we preview this i do want to briefly touch on the is this good for baseball conversation okay because it is getting on my nerves it is grinding my gears. It feels like anytime anything happens in this sport, ever, the conversation is always about, is this good for baseball? And here's my comparison. When you sit down at a restaurant and you look at the menu and you order something and you think, is this good for me? 
every single time you eat something. That is not a fun way to live. Now, at the same time, you should not just be gobbling down unhealthy fried food all the time. But if you let that dominate your life and dominate your perspective, you will have less fun going to restaurants. And mm. that is how I feel about the is this good for baseball conversation. Mm -hmm. We are not going to have big markets in the World Series every year. That's that's okay. That's fine. Growing the game in specific smaller places and getting people across the country interested in the sport is important. Otherwise, what you're saying is the 20 non-enormous market teams are just character foils for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that's not how it should work. No, it's never how it isn't how it's ever worked. And that's the other part that sort of bothers me about commentary about this matchup and say, oh, and, and yes, there is there are some objective facts about like, yeah, the the Diamondbacks have a negative run differential and 84 wins, and it's the fewest combined wins to be in the World Series and all these things, right? But for us, for our perspective, I mean, you know this if you're listening to this podcast, like it's also what you make of it, right? Like if you are telling on yourself by saying that you don't care if it doesn't involve the two most famous teams with the most famous players, that's that's fine. We can't change your mind, I guess, in that sense. But like ultimately for us, like we're going to really enjoy the World Series no matter who's in it because we like the sport and we're going to find the things that we enjoy about it. Absolutely. And like, look, Philly's Astros would have been very interesting. Mm -hmm. With a lot of narratives that we can understand without thinking too hard because we saw it last year and it's a rematch and whatever. But there are interesting things in this matchup. And I hope everybody gives this World Series a chance. Yeah. And again, I think the people listening to this show, we won't have to convince them too much uh, to tune in. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's no, no shock where we stand on this. But I'm going to enjoy it. There are a lot of a lot of really fun stories in this in this World Series, too. Um, and maybe like, again. I think the fact that we have to think about it a little bit harder is, is I think, more fun, right? You you start kind of to uncover things that are less obvious about this matchup. And there are some obvious headliners with guys like Bruce Bochy and some of the star rookies that we're going to get into. But again, there's other things that are going to pop up and you're like, oh, shit, like that's what that means for this. And that's I think that's yeah. going to be really fun. All right. So you're like, the, oh, the way shit. We're gonna yeah. Dane Dunning threw 172 innings. <laughs> Dane this Dunning year. led the team in innings. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we are going to first half of the show. We're going to keep play pretty straightforward. Just tell you about these two teams. Uh, we're going to take a break, and then second half we're going to do a little bit more big picture questions about what's uh, rattling around our brains about the Diamondbacks and Rangers about to play the 2023 World Series. So, uh, Jake, let's begin by telling uh, people how how do these teams get here? How do these teams get here? I think both teams have had had interesting journeys to get to the postseason at all. And then the next chapter of their season, which has been their incredible runs to the World Series, have kind of changed their season and put their season in a different light. So which team would you like to start with? I would like to start with the Tejas Rangers, who galloped out to a large advantage in the American League West. They were the best team in the American League for like the first half of the season. On June 6th, they were 40 and 20. When you look at their baseball reference page, it's a lot of green and not a whole lot of red. Their run differential was fantastic and it was backing up the level of dominance that they had shown. They hit a bit of a dip before the All-Star break and then another little schneid in late August, early September that inched the Astros and Mariners back into the playoff picture. I guess the other big note of their season is at the trade deadline, they went for it. They put their chips on the table. They acquired Max Scherzer. They acquired Jordan Montgomery. 
I guess they acquired Chris Stratton. <laughs> that was part of the deal. Cardinals were like, take this guy too. But remember, why Why were they so desperate to do that? Because they gave Jacob deGrom a shit ton of money and he made six starts. Now, I will say, Jacob deGrom, the Rangers were 6-0 and in Jacob deGrom's uh, starts. Mm. And so now those six, the narrative works better if they had won the division by one game <laughs> instead of losing it on the final day of the season. But still, that is important. Like to get them into the postseason, those six games were not nothing. Otherwise, we're talking about a Mariners Diamondbacks world. <laughs> oh, God, please don't say that. Uh, Mariners Diamondbacks, which team is Paul Seawald on? That's a good question. Anyway, um, the, the Rangers, so, yes, so the Rangers season, as you mentioned this trade deadline, before we get to the postseason, so much went right and so much went wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, especially on the pitching side. Eovaldi is hurt, right? He's not good down the stretch. He's very good in the first half, but he's hurt. And again, this is before we get to the playoffs. Martin Perez, all-star last year. We make sure we bring him back. Just kind of sucks. He's not a very good pitcher. Okay, and there's a reason we haven't seen him much in the postseason. I love Martin Perez. He's, he's a modern franchise, you know, face of this franchise for whatever reason. He's great, but he's not not good. And he was a huge part of their team last year, right? Andrew Heaney. Oh, we got Andrew Heaney also in free agency. Not 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 very good. Not terrible, but not very good. Like I said, Dane Dunning is leading the league, leading the team in innings. And all the while, the bullpen is historically terrible for a team that is actually good, right? They blow more saves than they convert. All of these things are happening, but the reason they still make it is because this offense was pretty much awesome the entire time. Consistent all year. Yes, there are moments where Corey Seager is hurt. Josh Young misses some time. Nathaniel Lowe goes through a bit of a dip. But for the most part, they are raking start to finish. And that is why this team is here. That is why they knocked off the Astros. They scored 20 runs across game six and seven of the ALCS. It is a deep lineup. It is an impressive lineup. They are top five across the board in like every major statistical category league-wide this year. So if you like, and that's what's kind of fun about them as a postseason team is they could just bludgeon any pitcher at any time and make a blowout a game again if they're down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, 100%. And we saw that in the earlier rounds and we know the pitching was more of the story, but we saw it against Tampa. We saw it against Baltimore, like going up against other teams that have had really good offenses and they were like, yeah, no, it's fine. We can outscore you uh, rather easily. And I know the pitching that they were facing was not quite as good, but this, this, this lineup has been good enough uh, against pretty much anybody the whole season. And that's why they got here. And that's why even with the injuries and with the extremely volatile pitching staff, a lot of things went terribly wrong. It, it hasn't mattered. Um, and so that's why they're here. Now, the last name that we really need to mention main character to introduce before we flip over the Diamondbacks is Jordan Montgomery, because Jordan Montgomery has enabled this run. Acquired at the trade deadline from St. Louis, the big lefty has been superb for them. He has made, he made I believe, 11 starts mm -hmm. down the stretch and was phenomenal basically in every single one of them across the board. Starts game one of the wild card round against the Rays is great. They beat the Rays. Not as good against the Orioles in his start there, but then in the ALCS against the Astros, very good in both of his starts. Come, comes in in relief in Game 7. He has been about as good of a deadline acquisition that you could have possibly dreamed of and makes up for the good but injured contributions from Max Scherzer kind of offsetting one another. 
Yes, absolutely. So he has been, and we are going to see him in game two, it seems like, because because he pitched in that game seven, they want to give him an extra day rest. So it's going to be Evaldi uh, in game one. And Evaldi has also been amazing. And the Evaldi uh, kind of showing up has been an even bigger deal because he did not look good in September at all. He was injured, comes back right before the playoffs, and he's just looked like essentially peak Nate Evaldi, just easily the whole time. And I, I, again, I've been stunned by that. Not stunned that he was capable of reaching that, but because of the way that he looked in September, I've been, been very surprised by that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how they got here. Just their, their resilience, of course they are. And then the other biggest note is, you know, eight and row eight, no, uh, on the road in the postseason, which is a, t- a tremendous start to their playoff run. Now they'll have home field advantage, but as we saw the way that Arizona has been playing at home, uh, that's going to be a pretty big deal. Let's flip over to the Arizona Diamondbacks. They won 84 games. And they're in the postseason. They're in the World Series. And I think that is incredibly impressive. This team, as Evan Longoria said, was predicted to finish behind the Giants, the Padres, and the Dodgers. And they are the last ones standing, not only in the NLS, but in the entire National League. They got off to a very hot start. And were right there at the top of the division with the Dodgers for the first two months of the season. Then the Dodgers were like, we're the Dodgers. Diamondbacks hit a bit of a lull. I mean, coming. The, yeah. it was worse than that. I mean, the, yes, the Dodgers surged in an absurd fashion, but we've seen that before. Like, the D-backs sucked for about six weeks in the middle of the season. I believe they went, yeah, 8-16 and 16 in July, 12-15 and 15 in August. They start August on a nine-game losing streak after trading for Paul Seawald and Tommy Pham. And so while you applauded the fact that they clearly wanted to reward their young team for playing so well, even with the tough July, by trading for a closer and trading for a veteran bat when there weren't very many available on the market, it was immediately, not that it backfired, it's not like Seawald and Pham were the problem, but it, they, it was not working. They had lost nine in a row. They had fallen, I think, three and a half games out of a postseason spot and, and, and below 500 when at one point they were way, way, way over. And it was like, okay, well, this is, Something I remember thinking like this is disappointing, but it's not like a collapse of a team that we had grand expectations for. It's a young team. They're figuring out how to win. And it's like, okay, it happens. But fortunately for them, they had given themselves enough of a cushion. They didn't fall that far behind. They were still in the mix for the NL wildcard. Correct. And there weren't any juggernaut teams trying to get the other two wildcard spots, which very much helped them. But you're right. Being a young team with no expectations is part of the reason why they were able to gallop through the world, uh, through the postseason to the World Series. Mm-hmm. And Zach Gallon said this to me. They've been playing with their backs against the wall. Like they've been playing competitive, meaningful baseball for months. Yeah. Right. They've had to win a lot of games for a lot of months. And so that is incredibly relevant to understand their mentality entering the World Series and how they kind of got here. Any yeah. guys. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I would just say like the other thing about their regular season, and we could have mentioned this, I feel like we've hit, it's been hit on so much with Texas about their final weekend and losing that last game to Seattle and ultimately not having, you know, the not winning the division and Houston overtaking them and all those things. But let's remember also how Arizona's, you know, season ended. They had Houston come to town and just absolutely whoop on them. And their last, if you go back and listen to those podcasts, because I... It seemed like they were going to be okay because of how much the Cubs were also collapsing. And so, and I was confident that the D-backs by the middle of September, I was like, this is the best team of this bunch, but it was still going to be a narrow margin. The Reds were still right there. The Marlins were sitting, the Padres were still right there going into that final week. And that last week for them 
We saw them lose. Remember, they had that, that weird rain out in New York that pushed their schedule back. And on Thursday, they had to stay in Chicago an extra day and play against this awful, awful White Sox team that was clearly tanking, and they lost. And they lost that game against the White Sox, which I think was one of their, not exactly they could have clinched, but it was like this, if they could just win this game, they're going to be in great shape no matter what happens against Houston. And instead, they lose three to one, they have to fly home, and then they score one or two runs over those three games against the Astros and look absolutely hopeless. Now, fortunately, they got helped by all the other things and it was fine. They end up falling to the sixth seed which Huge. allows them to play Milwaukee instead of Philadelphia. Now, as who they would have saw, who they would have beat anyway. <laughs> they would have beat them anyway. But who, who's, who's to say? I mean, that's clearly a big part of it. It all worked out for them. A lot, probably easier to get the momentum against Milwaukee in the early going. Remember, Brandon Woodruff gets scratched right before their series. That's also a big deal. Now, if you're a D-backs fan saying like, "Oh, what the hell? You're making it like no, these motherfuckers earned it. These snakes are freaking awesome, and I've enjoyed watching them so much." And if they win this, this will be one of my favorite World Series champions ever. But a lot of things were, were also kind of going haywire at the very end. And then even in the postseason, they, they had some, some strokes of luck there that, that really got him here. But anyway, that's the D-backs. But all in all, we're still talking about a team with 84 wins and a minus 15 run differential. They're trying to become only the second team in baseball history to win the World Series with a negative run differential, joining the 1987 Twins. Uh but at this point, nobody remembers or cares about that because there are still that a lot of good true. players on this team. Now, when we say 84-win team, they're not an 84-win team right now. Mm-hmm. And there's two main reasons for that in my mind, and that's Gabriel Moreno, mm-hmm. who over the course of the regular season was like a 100 OPS plus guy, around 104 mm-hmm. maybe. Yep. He is clearly not that right now. And maybe <laughs> yeah. he's just locked in out of his mind, but I think he is just a spectacular player who is very young. And he has learned not only how to hit at the big league level over the course of the season, but learned how to play defense better and yeah. call games better behind the plate for them. Mm-hmm. He is not the statistical output he was over the season that he is right now. So that's the yes. first one. The second one is Brandon Fott. 100%. Even more season, so. I would even more so. The Diamondbacks did not really have a third starter this season. There was some Ryan Nelson. There was a lot of uh, Zach Davies. Um <laughs> well, so, well, let's remember who was really in their rotation to start, and that's Mr. Madison Bumgarner. Right. So much of the D-backs April was, oh, this team doesn't suck, but they're still giving Madison Bumgarner starts. Like, is this really sustainable? And it turned out, no, we only got four before he was booted. They should have him throw out the first pitch. But I think that's just <laughs> important to remember. 84 wins is a weird number to see next to a World Series team, but obviously they're not a quality 84-win team right now and that's because they have so many young players who have developed and gotten better mm-hmm. over the course of the season and we've seen those contributions so far in October. Yeah. And I would also say though it's like okay so I mentioned the the run differential stat 84 wins is I believe the third fewest wins to appear in a World Series uh with the 73 Mets and the 2006 Cardinals. And Zach Gallen who has as it has been very made clear was a Cardinals fan growing up not a Phillies fan despite his as I have called it epic hoagie mouth. He was a Cardinals fan. And so he just talked. They, they asked him on the field after. I think it was Mike Farron saying like, hey, like ultimate underdogs. And he's like, yeah, like 2006 Cardinals. I remember watching that, blah, blah, blah. That's all true. However, however, Zach Gallen, respectfully, that 2006 team had, while they did only win 82 games or 83 games, they had <laughs> peak Albert Pujols. And like they, it was a very weird season for that team in a horrible division, mind you. They, they won the Central. 
Okay, so that's the other thing about that team. They won the Central somehow. So again, right. I just bring that up to say that like there were some very high-level players on that team. Not that there aren't on this Arizona team. A little bit of a different story, I would say, compared to this D-back squad. That is very true. All right, let's go position by position. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah, this is like out, outrageous Chris Carpenter, elite, 178 OPS plus Albert Pujols. <laughs> it's a very different situation. Yeah. Position by position for these teams. Let's start behind the dish. Very interesting showdown here. Jonah Heim will be catching all the games for the Rangers. Gabriel Moreno will be catching all the games for the Diamondbacks. Who you got? I mean, I've talked about Moreno enough. Like, I love Moreno. He's become, like, one of my favorite players in baseball this year. And the fact that he's, again, ascended. He didn't hit third at all in the regular season, and now he's hitting third every night. I think his his abilities on defense, controlling the running game, all those things are very real. However, I also wrote a Jonah Heim feature this year because Jonah Heim is also an incredible development story, much different than Moreno. Moreno is about to become the youngest catcher to start a World Series since Buster Posey in 2010. Jonah Heim was traded three times before he made his major league debut or, or three times before he really got to establish himself. He was with the Orioles. He's with Tampa. He's with Oakland. Now he's with Texas. He's a switch hitter, which is, I think what makes him uh, especially talented, better from the right side or at least more power. But he's a big catcher. That's the other thing about Heim. His defensive abilities as a framer, and he's pretty good at controlling the running game as well. Really impressive, but his ascent on offense is really what has made him. Uh, I mean, he was an all-star, right? I mean, he was he was one of the Rangers all-stars, and he earned it, and he's, uh, he's a really, really good player. But, you know, I'm a sucker for Moreno because I think he's just going to be one of the best catchers in baseball for a long time. Yeah, defensively, Moreno's ability to control the running game is elite. It's on a different level. Um, we saw it in the last round. That throw to get Kyle Schwarber on the mm-hmm. on the uh, on the ball he blocked, like he could just do things that other guys can't do. Jonah Heim is very good at throwing. Yeah, I would put him in a similar. The stats say he's a little bit better than Real Muto. Mm-hmm. I would say he's in a similar level. I agree. Whether or not the Rangers pitchers can control the running game will be the decisive factor there. Montgomery being a lefty will be very helpful considering he'll make two starts, but that's just something to keep an eye on. Let's yeah, and I would space. say from, from Moreno's standpoint, the other thing is the Rangers don't really run, right? Now, the Phillies don't really run either, uh, at least besides Trey Turner, but we at least saw them kind of pick their spots here and there. Uh, the Rangers don't really have anybody that like to steal bases, so I would imagine, and, and also, they're not really built to because they can just hit a shit ton of yeah. homers. So we might not see Moreno's arm come into play as much, but I think the Heim one is, is even more interesting because as we saw in game six and seven, the D-backs are willing to push it here. And as we know, like that's that adds to the level of confidence that they're playing with is they're w- willing to run. First base, Christian Walker and Nathaniel Lowe. I would say that before the postseason, I would consider this fairly even with an edge toward Walker. Walker has been in the regular season one of the more underrated first basemen in baseball recently, not just because he's putting up very uh, traditional you know, 30 homers and 100 RBI stats, but because he is truly an outstanding defender. That is a has been true. He won the Gold Glove last year. Maybe he wins it again this year. He is excellent on defense. But really, it's that he again, as I mentioned, has averaged thirty four home runs and one hundred RBIs with a eight twenty OPS the last couple of years. Like that's a really good hitter. The problem is that Christian Walker right now looks horrible. He has looked like he has been giving them probably the least competitive at bats. He started to draw some walks, which credit to him, and that clearly it's in pitchers, his name. 
It's in his name. name, so I'm glad he's doing at least that. And the Phillies pitchers were at least respecting him enough to not just throw it down the middle every time. But some of the swings he's been taking have been very, very, very uh, not good. Whereas the flip side is Nathaniel Lowe had an awful September, a tough start to the postseason, and he's finally starting to kind of pick it up. Had that great season last year, not as good this year, but we're starting to kind of see him look like a really strong hitter again, and he's a little bit lower down in the lineup, but... Um, and of course a lefty bat, but I like, I like both of these guys. I would lean low at this stage. Also Nathaniel Lowe, elite look. Oh yeah. Turtleneck, mustache, tight pants. Going to do some reporting on that today. Second base. Also a spot where I would have picked one guy before October and definitely pick another guy. Now Marcus Semien could tell Marte. I mean, Semien was outstanding all season long and he has been kind of the weak spot for this Rangers offense. Yeah, through the month of October, he's still hitting at the top of the lineup, whereas Marte has been the best player. Yeah, on, on the, the Diamondbacks. Yeah, full stop. He's he's got a hit in every game. Marcus Semyon has a 507 OPS in the postseason. That's 58 plate appearances. But yeah, he's hitting 192, zero home runs. He's the only player in the playoffs with more than like 40 plate appearances without a home run. Um, and still hitting. We're starting to see he's hit some balls hard. He's also been generally very reliable on defense. Marte's more solid than than great. But Marte right now, I mean, with his switch hitting too, he yeah. is so tough to game plan against. And how they attack him late in games, I'm going to be especially interested in because we've seen him bat some first, bat second. And now, of course, just that top of the lineup with how well Moreno's playing. I got to take Marte here, but, but Sammy is still one of the best players in baseball, so it's not like he's not capable of turning it on. Shortstop. This one will be quick. Uh, Corey Seager is one of the best hitters in the world. Mm-hmm. He hits second. He could have won the AL MVP had he been healthy the whole season. His full season offensive numbers were stupid. Yes. Stupid good. Stupid yeah. good. Geraldo Perdomo is a promising young player. I guess he's 24 uh, for the Diamondbacks, and he hits ninth. And he has been he pretty ninth. good. The dude was an all-star, which seems absurd, and that was because he had a great first half. And yeah, like you can roll your eyes because you should roll your eyes because you look at his final season stats and it was a 95 OPS plus. I get that. But like, he's a good player and he's batting ninth. Now, it doesn't matter. Whatever. Corey Seager is one of the best hitters in the world. He's, he is the best hitter left playing in these postseason. And it's honestly not particularly close. He is amazing. He, if he continues, he ended a little bit of some stretches there during that last series where it looked a little out of funk by the end. Not at all. He is back locked in. He could carry them all the way to the World Series again. He is amazing. That's Corey Seager. Also, here's a Corey Seager thing I would like for you to ask about. It seems like he's been using the same bat the entire time. It is a very specific looking bat that looks very worn and looks very... I just find, asked some questions about Corey Seager's bat today. I just, just throwing that in. There's some homework for you. No breaking bats. Uh, okay, <laughs> third base, we have Josh Young against Evan Longoria, the rookie. Yes. Or Rivera. And the grandpa. We've seen both, but yeah. Or Rivera, but I'm going to go ahead and say that this is Evan Longoria. Yeah. Longoria, great story. Hope he's happy and gets the ring and all these things. Not very good at baseball anymore. That's okay. He has looked pretty bad. Uh, really, like not. He hasn't made any defensive biffs yet. No. But he's clearly lost a step or two. Um, and you could argue that the Phillies' first and third play, what, ha- like his lack of foot speed helped there because he wasn't able to come cover third mm-hmm. base. Mm-hmm. Whatever. You have to take Josh Young. Yeah, Josh Young's been great. I know he's still batting eighth, but and he's also kind of gone hot and cold during this month, but the talent is still very obvious there. Just a really impressive hitter. 
And he's, you know, he's a rookie because he missed a lot of time and missed time this year, missed time coming up. But, you know, he's 25. It's a little bit different than yeah. talking about a guy like Evan Carter, who we'll get to in a second. Uh, but, no, Young's awesome. And, and also, he's been really impressive defensively. I know he's had a couple couple errors here and there, but he's been capable of making the high-end play in a way that I did not expect him to be able to. So he's been really impressive, I think, on that side, too. Right field. Corbin Carroll. Heard of him. Yes, I have. Pretty good player. Against Adelis Garcia. Whew. Yeah, so this is, I mean, had Carroll not just like won game seven by himself, um, you know, this would really not be a conversation. I mean, the way Adolis is swinging right now, it's like, I mean, well, you're, if you're not going to pick the guy that's maybe about to have 30 RBIs in a, in a playoff run. Uh, but no, this is, this is amazing. I mean, you could argue for both of them. I mean, again, Carroll, when you consider what he might be able to do on the bases now, when you can see what he, if he can impact the game that way too. Defensively, Carroll's fine. He's capable of playing center, but he's not necessarily special um, in center field. He's solid in right. Adolis is really good in right. Of course, one of the best arms in baseball. So this is, I mean, this is certainly the most the most fun one. I, I don't know. Who, who do you lean here? I'm going to lean Carroll. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pour cold water on <laughs> Adolis Garcia's incredible month. He has not walked. Not he has struck out Which makes times. it even more impressive in some ways. Makes it even more impressive. I think if you sequence him and you game plan him right and you hit which, your spots. Which the D-Max have been doing. Like, that's the, the thing. They just did this to the Phillies. He's going to be – he's swinging. Like, he is going to swing <laughs> at what you throw. And so, if you game plan it right, yeah. you can get him. So, I – maybe he just stays insanely hot for another two weeks and it doesn't matter. But if you were to, like, look at his 12-game sample, if we were talking about, like, the first week of April, people would be like, everyone relax. Like, he's going to cool off. True. This is unsustainable. True. So I think for that reason, I'm going to lean Carroll, who looked a lot better after a small mechanical adjustment in that yep. game seven. The, the last thing I'd say about Adolis is like, it's fu- the, the funny thing about the way he's done it this month is part of his additional breakout this year, not that he hasn't been good the last few years, is that he walked more. Like his walk rate went up to above 10% this year, easily a career high. But then at this point, it's like, nah. What it's way more fun to swing the bat when it's working this well. So that'll be a fascinating thing, how they attack him. Against left-handed pitching, the Diamondbacks will move Carroll to center and have Tommy Pham play right and take Alec Thomas out of the lineup because he's left-handed. Let's just put Alec Thomas in center for the sake of this conversation. He starts there against righties, two homers in the last round. Him versus Leody Tavares. Yeah, again, both guys known more for their defense. Tavares was a more productive hitter this year, but both of them top prospects who we knew were going to make to the big leagues because they were great defensive center fielders and their bats have kind of taken some time to come along. I think Thomas, a weirdly similar player. Now, Tavares is a switch hitter, so that gives him a little bit more value. But yeah, I mean, Thomas is Thomas is feeling it right now and he's he's just as good defensively. So I guess I'll, I'll go Leody, um, just because I think he's a little bit more of a complete hitter and he is a switch hitter. But it's, it's really close. Left field, very interesting. Evan Carter, the rookie, they picked him up from high school on the way to October versus Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Mm-hmm. I had a scout tell me last week, they think Lourdes Gurriel Jr. will win a batting title mm. at some point in the second half of his career. That he, like his brother, is a little bit of a late bloomer mm-hmm. and has a lot of the same traits as a hitter. His ability to manipulate the barrel and make hard contact is elite and very difficult to replicate. He's got the big purple hair. Oh, the He's hair pretty, is just... The hair I is mean, great. I've said this before. I genuinely have never seen 
hair like the Guriel brothers in my life. Yes. Still, not since Yuli debuted, and now not since uh, Lourdes really has brought a way more color um, to the the Pina power, as they are calling it. With all due respect to friend of the show Dalton Varsho, mm-hmm. getting Moreno and Guriel in that yeah. trade over the offseason for mm-hmm. Varsho has put the Diamondbacks in this position. Yeah, right 100%. 100%. And, and Guriel, he was an all-star this year. You know, you mentioned his, his kind of as just like a pure hit tool. I mean, he's a career 279 hitter, but I mean that in a good way. Like that's, you're hitting 279 over, over 2,400 plate appearances in modern baseball. Like that's really impressive. And yeah, with the right BABIP, he could absolutely hit 310, you know, over a season. Uh, defensively, he's, he's kind of interesting. No more for his arm than his range, but he's looked pretty solid out there. I really like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. He's also going to be a free agent uh, so that he has an opportunity in a shallow free agent class. He's only going to be entering his age 30 season. He could kind of, you know, get get a little bit of attention going into this winter. However, let's talk about Evan Carter, okay? Sure. Because Evan Carter, not just because he was born in 2002 and is batting third, which is fucking crazy. It's that he will be batting third because the Diamondbacks do not have any left-handed starting pitching. And so while we did see him swap down for Robbie Grossman against a guy like Framber Valdez, because ultimately Evan Carter has not been very good against lefties. This is going to be an interesting matchup to watch when you can deploy a left-hander against Evan Carter late in the game. That's certainly going to be a button that Torrey Lavello is going to have to press at some point. But as far as the starting lineup, I expect Evan Carter to be batting third. And that is obscene because he is, was born in 2002. He does not chase. Yeah. It's kind of that it. simple. I, I mean, That's well, it's not that simple because he also is, you know, He's not just standing up there, but his at-bats are so good, and it does take the perfect pitch to get him to chase. Otherwise, he's he'll serve it all over the field, man. Like, he's a good hitter, and while the raw power is is not quite there yet, his quality of contact is so good. It's kind of like we talked about with Altuve and Bregman. He doesn't need to hit it 112 off the bat because he's the quality of contact, the angle that he's hitting with balls with is so good that he's, he's, he's one of their best hitters, and he's, you know, 21. Let's do DH, and then we'll take a quick break and do pitching after that. Mitch Garver for Texas, Tommy Pham for Arizona. Tommy Pham has a tattoo hmm. on his on right on his left arm. It says "Believe in yourself" over the seams of a baseball, and that is a basic tattoo. I mean, that <laughs> is that is there is not a lot of deep thought. In believe in yourself over some baseballs. It's not like you have to be like, hey, Tommy, like, what does that mean? Yeah. Can like, you explain, tell the that, story? explain his tattoo. What's yeah. the story there? However, it does do a good job of explaining Tommy Pham because Tommy Pham has believed in himself the whole time. He was stashed in the minor leagues, like, b- by the Cardinals for way too long. Almost, he, almost a decade. I mean, this guy was decade. picked out of high school okay. <laughs> in 2006. And he has endured. And here he is as one of the emotional centerpieces of this Diamondbacks team. If you're talking about a rational belief and total unflappable confidence, Tommy Pham is that guy. Now, offensively, he was struggling for a lot of the NLCS before he homered in game six in Philly. And so for that reason, I'm going to take Mitch Garver, who is a better hitter right now. But I think it is important to understand Pham's role as a character in this Diamondbacks team. Absolutely. I mean, him and him and Longoria, very different kinds of veteran presences, but in the same sense, you know, it's not necessarily about what their production has been. Uh, now with Fam, it's a little, it's a little bit more pressure because he is batting in the middle of the order when he is playing. 
So at this stage of the season, when every at-bat is the most important at-bat of the season, it, it does feel magnified, and you hope he is going to produce. But that home run in Game 6 was a massive deal. Like that, that it's, what, it's a reminder of if you can deliver in one spot, People don't care what your OPS is. Like it really doesn't matter at this stage. And so that was a massive, a massive, massive deal. I deliver in one spot and no one cares what my OPS is, Jordan. And that's Damn. for sure. Uh, let's uh, take a but, break. Well, I should uh, say I Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver's good. Mitch Garver yeah. is also a pending free agent. Mitch Garver is has given multiple times, has delivered in multiple big spots for the Rangers this this um this postseason. And and he's just another reminder of like, again, I know this is just the sequence that we talked about these players, but like he is a very good hitter, and he's not one of the first four, five, six guys you name, and that is what makes this Rangers lineup so good. Very few Rangers fans are buying Mitch Garver jerseys, and he might just single-handedly win them the World Series <laughs> if he gets hot. Um, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about the pitch. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official Baseball Barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumpy rafter, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this postseason. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. We talked about the gentleman with the bats. Let's talk about the gentleman with the arms. I guess Those guys with the bats. They don't have arms. arms. It's, like, uh, it's like in Wii Baseball. You yeah, know, in Wii Baseball, they don't have arms. They just kind of, I guess they have like floating hands sort of, but all the animations in, in those games are, are very kind of difficult to wrap your mind around, but also great. Now, honestly, it just makes me want to play Wii Baseball as soon as we're done uh, with this podcast. Uh, I'll be right over. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, let's talk about the pitchers. This has been a journey for both of these staffs. I think what is fun about, again, it's like, when you started this postseason and you look at these two teams, and at this point they were wildcard teams who weren't thinking about them making deep runs, but if you were saying, oh, well, why are they not going to make it to the World Series? You'd be like, well, this bullpen, there's no chance. Like, there's absolutely no chance. You're certainly saying that about Texas, but we were saying that about Arizona too. Even if you granted Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen being amazing for seven innings in every start, which obviously hasn't been the case exactly, right? You say, okay, I'm glad they have Paul Seawald. That's nice. You need other guys to get outs. Like who else? What's what is, what's what is, is Kevin Giggle? What is, is Kevin, Kevin Giggle's Giggle. gonna be so good? <laughs> is Kevin Giggle's gonna be the best pitcher in the playoffs? Oh, hilarious stuff! Oh, I, oh, whoops! Yeah, no, that's actually exactly what happened. So the ascent of both of these bullpens. Now the Rangers, it has still been quite rickety at times. Now they're here. Credit to him. Josh Spores is maybe the one to start with. I know. Let's just do bullpens first, because again, like I think the fact that the D-backs and Rangers are here is like holy shit. These bullpens did it, okay. And so Josh Spores is the one who's kind of emerged. And if you look at his numbers this year, you're like, how is this possible? The strikeouts have always been there, and the command has just been like ten percent better enough to put him in spots where he's been good. And like Ginkle, I will say, Josh Spores does not look scared. He is, they, that credit to him, like, 
he has been even with the shaky command he's had some some lucky balls to play here and there like he has delivered right but with the rangers they have essentially tried to shrink it to spores chapman leclerc whenever they can and it's i mean it's worked because they're in the world series but it also has been pretty uh, scary when it hasn't worked. And because they've been able to score so many runs, they haven't had as many situations where it's like, oh my God, we have to hold the one run lead for three, four, five innings, the way that Arizona has successfully. Diamondbacks. Kevin Ginkle is incredible. Uh, I can't stop thinking about the gink. The gink is on the brain. But the the Diamondbacks have shrunk their bullpen in a high leverage way to like four and a half guys. Mm-hmm. They'll go to Joe Mantiply, 2022 all-star if they need another little boost, but it's really a top four of Thompson, Ryan Thompson, Andrew Saul, Frank, Kevin Ginkle, and of course, Paul Sewald at the back end. Thompson is the sidewinder who just gets a ton of ground balls. Saul Frank's command and control have wavered at times over the last couple of weeks. He faced Kyle Schwarber four times, walked him three times in the NLCS. But Ginkle and Seawald have been downright automatic. Yeah. I mean, they've been, you know, unscored upon, a uh, ton of strikeouts, barely any walks. It's it's been it's been smooth sailing. And and Thompson has generally been uh quite good as well. You know, they have some harder throwers behind them that we've seen briefly, guys like Miguel Castro, guys like Luis Frias. By the way, Miguel Castro. In yeah. the World Series. He had a he had a great, I mean, they all do this, but his Instagram uh live, his IG live during the celebration, which you can actually see Jake in the background of. So if you want to go watch that, you can see that. <laughs> uh is is great. And we got crashed. I was like, wow, what a what a fun career. Because you know, relievers, obviously, a lot of these guys have kind of had some interesting journeys. And in terms of guys that have been on a bunch of teams, He's definitely up there because, you know, these younger guys like Saul Frank and Frias and even Ginkle's always been in the D-backs. Like, there's D-backs guys. Castro's, you know, seen some shit. I know he's only 28, but he's been around. Can I objectify him for a moment? Please. When he first came up, it was like, this skinny dude is a weird-looking fella. Mm-hmm. He has matured into a very good-looking dude. Yeah. He yeah. has great style. Like, I, that, is an, that is a handsome man. And, and here's the thing. You say, oh, well, what's the big deal with Miguel Castro? The dude led the league in appearances this season. <laughs> he pitched in 75 games for these Diamondbacks and was just perfectly average, 101 ERA+. plus. So he's not quite in the mix for those high leverage spots because the command is still shaky and he's, he's a little homer prone for a reliever. But he will pitch at some point in the World Series. Arizona, uh, da- like if Arizona's down two runs in game four... And you need someone to throw the top of the eighth. Like that's where <laughs> he, you see Cap. We'll we'll see him. We'll see him. Um, but anyway, but in general, the, the guys you mentioned are, are certainly the headliners. Seawall and, and I mean Seawall is just I could not be happier for this guy. And it's he's he's the best. And and yeah, Gink, but Ginkle's the real story in terms of a breakout, guys, because Seawald was essentially traded for for this exact assignment and he has delivered one hundred percent. But Ginkle's the one I think that we've really started to learn about, which is very exciting. I mean, his, if Kevin, his fastball slider combo, like, duh, of course, everyone in the eighth inning throws a fastball and slider, but something about the arm angle and just the, the power slider, it is, it is on. It is on right now. The gink don't miss. Let's go to the starting rotations. Game one will be Zach Gallen for Arizona against Nate Yavaldi for Texas. Game two will be Merrill Kelly 
against Jordan Montgomery. Game three will likely be Max Scherzer against Brandon Fott. And game four will be the Diamondbacks bullpen carousel against Andrew Heaney and Dave Dunning in some fashion. Yeah, I I guess, is there a world they could bring Gallon back on game four? Yeah, um, I think we're living in it. Okay, yeah, I guess that's possible. But I guess it seems unlikely. I guess they, they would still rather just have him go five and then trust for... I mean, the Fox game seven, I mean, it just worked, right? So we're, I, I assume they are clearly comfortable going with the bullpen game. So maybe we will see the Frias and Mantiply and Castro, you know, earlier on uh, in those games. We'll see. But but those first three matchups are, are really the ones to, to kind of hit on here. So this first one, game one, Nady Evaldi and Zach Allen. Zach Allen has been okay. Now, that's because of the standard he set, which is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a, his ERA this postseason is is five, five two four. I think what's most concerning about Gallon when I look at the stat line is thirteen strikeouts in twenty two innings. That's what kind of stands out. Not that he's striking out twelve, thirteen guys, you know, per nine regularly. That's what would kind of concerns me is the lack of swing and miss for the most part, because him having allowed six home runs, I'm that concerns me too because of who he's playing but I don't think it's a reflection of Zach Gallon, the pitcher normally, whereas the lack of strikeouts is, I think, a little bit more concerning. So what have you seen from Gallon so far? Because again, he, you know, they pitched pretty well in those first two games, not against the Phillies. Yeah, his fastball command is so important and it hasn't quite been there this October in the last two starts. Um. And when you don't have the fastball command, I mean, we've seen this for Brandon Fott on the other side of things when he was great. Like, that's so important, especially for Gallon when he's not throwing 98, right? Mm-hmm. He's throwing 94. Mm-hmm. And so being able to put the fastball where he wants is part of why he was spectacular all season long. Yeah. Um, if you had told me that the Diamondbacks would have gone 0-2 and Gallon starts and won the NLCS, I would have been absolutely <laughs> floored. Well, yeah. But at the same time, like, if he shows up and shoves in game one, there are going to be a lot of people that didn't watch this D-backs uh, playoff run but knew that Zach Allen was a really good pitcher on their team and were like, oh, yeah, of course. Okay, sure. And he's capable of that 100%. Yeah, I think the home run ball has been the biggest problem for him. His stuff maybe in October doesn't play up to the swing and miss in the same way, mm-hmm. but his ability to limit homers is part of why he was great this season and hasn't been happening in October. And he, and here's the other thing. Like, I, I totally understand if you're listening, you're saying, what, he's been worse. He's at five ERA. Like, he's been worse than okay. The fact that he's still been able to go five innings right. every time or six innings every time is really important. We've seen so many pitchers this postseason get blasted out of the first inning before you can even blink. And even Gallon, who struggled in the first and second innings, like, he has been able to settle in and either give his team a chance to win or give his team a chance to not use as many relievers. And for a team that's been so reliant on the bullpen, there is still value in that. On the flip side, you have Merrill Kelly. Um, actually, no, let's talk about Evaldi first, just because it's game one. I mean, I just talked about him earlier. He's been amazing. He is, to see him kind of rewarded in this, to see him in almost the co-ace role on this playoff team has been really cool. When, you know, coming into the season, you would assume it was DeGrom. You would assume it was... Once they trade for Scherzer, Scherzer, right? But it's like, no, like this is Nady Evaldi, who let's remind everyone delivered one of the great postseason performances of all time 
in a loss in the 2018 World Series, the six innings of relief, ending with the Max Muncy walk-off home run in the 18th inning. Now, the Red Sox, of course, win that World Series. He gets a ring. It wouldn't be his first World Series ring. But I just he is, I know he's one of your favorite pitchers too. I mean, for him, it's less about, like, it, it's power shit, man. Like, he's throwing hard. He, when he's locating the fastball, like, glove side on the outer half, like, even when he was missing in his last start, when he's hitting it, you, there's just nothing you can do. And then the splitter. I mean, we've talked a lot about the splitter on the show this year. That is a pitch that just not a lot of guys are seeing, and he's been using it for an out pitch all postseason long, and it's been it's been nasty. Game two, Merrill Kelly, Jordan Montgomery, two wily vets who just know how to pitch. If you want to feel fancy, this is a good start to watch. I've made the joke many times that watching Kyle Hendricks makes me feel fancy, that I'm watching. I'm, I'm a good baseball appreciator, and that <laughs> yes. is what these two guys are. Neither of them are going to blow you away. They both can put the baseball where they want. They both limit hard contact, and they've both been very good in this postseason. Kelly was a little more rickety in his first start of the NLCS and then delivered big time in game six against the Phillies. Yeah, and he's, you know, for the postseason, um, I mean, you know, he's just, he has just truly been exceptional. And he is more of a, not that Gallon doesn't throw a bunch of pitches, but it's just been the combination of the command and just being able to just throw the right pitch at the right time. Not even about the location, but clearly guys are just not, when he throws six or seven different pitches, he's able to keep guys off balance in a very real way. Um, And the strikeouts have been there, you know, even more so than Gallon. Um, It's actually been interesting to see he's had multiple walks and more more of these starts than Gallon, but uh, he's he's legit. And for him too, it's just going to be about avoiding a situation like that game, the first game in Philly with the home runs. Because when you're not throwing that hard, that is still a a risk. But the uh, important thing about Kelly is that his best secondary is a changeup. Hmm. And the changeup is going to move away from the left-handed bats that Texas has and might help to mitigate that, right? Hmm. So you talked about how Evan Carter struggles more against lefties. We'll be curious to see how the changeup plays against Carter, against Seager, against Nate Lowe. Hmm. Just something to keep an eye on with Kelly. Any Montgomery yep. thoughts? Yeah, I mean, again, we've, we kind of have gotten used to, to what he's he's looked like now. It's, it is a lot of just staying away from hard contact. You're not going to see too many strikeouts here, but just the the efficiency and kind of the game managing to be able to go deep in games here is also so important for them because you don't want to have to use uh, too much of the bullpen. And the game where he kind of got blasted uh, by Baltimore, you know, the Rangers were scoring a shit ton of runs too, and so it didn't end up mattering that much. So I think Jordan Montgomery is, is gettable. I mean, he's been great, but how he matches up against Carroll uh, is, is certainly favors Texas. Uh, you know, but Martin Moreno, like, and even Walker, like these are guys that have generally crushed left-handed pitching. So that's that I, I like their chances more uh, against him than Evaldi uh, for as good as Montgomery has been. So we'll see. Game three, Brandon fought <laughs> Max Scherzer. So because of how game seven went with Max Scherzer, we really didn't talk about him because we didn't need to, because the Rangers, as we just mentioned, scored a million runs and made it mood and they were clearly willing to go to Montgomery. But let's not forget about what happened in game three, right? And they aren't going to be able to just give the ball to Jordan Montgomery to kind of save Max Scherzer's ass here uh, in game three of this series. At the same time, I'm still thinking more about Brandon Fott here because if he can keep up this run against the Rangers lineup, I mean, holy shit. Now, again, he is in some ways very anonymous. Yes, he was pitched to Division II, Bellarmine. He was came up very quickly. He was not very good this year, but he was before this season, regarded as one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, even if he was with the Diamondbacks and a lot of people hadn't heard of him. We've just started to see that poise 
has really shown up. So I'm thinking about more with him. Like Scherzer, my expectations are still pretty low. I still would expect that game to include a lot more of maybe Dane Dunning, maybe Cody Bradford in long relief. Like there's an opportunity for Scherzer to have a legendary performance. I just don't believe that that's going to happen. So I'm thinking more about Fott. I'd rather start Fott than Max Scherzer in a postseason game right now. I know that sounds wild, but that's the facts. Like yeah. Fott, yeah. just zooming out, when you look at a pitcher or any player that struggles and then has success, determining whether or not that success is legitimate is based upon a variety of questions, right? Did they make a real adjustment? Are there mechanical differences? How have they developed as a player? Or is this just small sample size theater? And with Fott, he was up in the bigs and he was bad. And he went down and he moved to the other side of the rubber and he changed where his hands start on the mound. And he, he spent a lot of time um, in the big leagues working through things. And now he's good. And if you look at his track record as a top prospect, it makes me believe that Brandon Fott's probably a really good pitcher. Yep. And there's a reason he was considered one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. And we've mm -hmm. seen that in the last couple starts. The poise, the command, the fastball, it's all right there. Give me him over Scherzer. Yep, totally agree. Uh, all right, Jake, I think we're going to kind of cut it off here. I know we had teased at the start that we have some bigger picture questions, but the World Series doesn't start until tomorrow. And so I think we'll just do another podcast on Friday, kind of digging into some of those bigger questions, and we'll get your takeaways from the workout day. I'm sure you will learn some stuff today. And if you have any World Series-specific email questions that you want to send in, maybe we'll get to a couple of those. Email us, baseballbarbacast, B-A-R-B-Cast at gmail.com. If you really want to know about our thoughts on... Uh, I'm trying to think. Who, who has not gotten Kevin mentioned yet? I guess I very briefly mentioned Robbie Grossman. If there's someone yeah. on these rosters that we have not even... Uh, oh, uh, I guess here's one. Will Smith going for his third straight World Series ring, yep. despite not being very good anymore. That's a something. That's that's the example of the kind of story we are going to be thinking about um, tomorrow on tomorrow's episode of Baseball Barbecast. But for now, we'll end it here. Keep it under an hour uh, and let people enjoy their Thursdays. Thank you all for listening, Jake. Enjoy the workout day. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this episode of Baseball Barbecast. And we will be back on Friday, the day of game one of the World Series between the D-backs and Rangers. I guess I'll watch. Fine. Okay. If you force me to watch these two anonymous, I, I, I'll, I'll, I will. I will. We'll be back on you're, you're so brave. Serious XM Podcasts.